following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church in Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. For those of you who are new, my name is Josh. I'm a pastor here at Canyon Ridge Church. I get the chance to speak to you this morning, and I'm so excited because we are starting a new series called Thank God It's Monday. And you must be like, thank God it's Monday. Uh, You got that wrong, Josh. It's thank God it's Friday. Uh, But no, it's thank God it's Monday. We're talking about how can you apply your faith to your work because Jesus didn't just come to save our Sundays. He came to save the rest of our week. And so we want to talk about how does our faith apply at work and also how do we have a, a better time at work? We spend so many hours of our week at work. How do we have a better time at work by applying our faith? Because Jesus came to invest life in our work. And so a big part of our work is our boss, right? Our boss is a major part of whether we enjoy our work or not. And one person claims to be the world's greatest boss. Why don't you take a look at this video? Hopefully, yes. Faith. People say, I am the best boss. They go, God, we've never worked in a place like this before. You're hilarious. And you get the best out of us. Um, I think that pretty much sums it up. I found it at Spencer Gifts. So he claims to be the world's greatest boss, Um, but I want to talk to you today about the world's greatest boss. Really, who is the world's greatest boss? In fact, what even makes a great boss? What makes a boss either great or good or or bad? Um, You know, I've had... uh, my own impact, my own experience with not necessarily a bad boss, but a boss that made a bad decision. When I was just starting out as a pastor, I was a youth pastor, and I was just hired by this church, and they had a youth camp on the summer, and it was kind of around the summertime, and so they wanted me to go to this youth camp. Well, the only problem was my wife was like eight and a half months, almost nine months pregnant at that point. And so I was worried that, I, hey, if I go to this youth camp, I don't want to miss the birth of my son, my middle son, Mateo. And so he said, no, you're going. This is super important. You got to do this. And so I just got the job. I can't really, there's not a whole lot of grace at that point. Uh, so I, I, I went to this youth camp, and it was way out, way, way out. It's like a 10-hour bus ride there, a two-hour ferry ride way out, it's kind of in in the water, beautiful, beautiful place I went, and I go, and it's a lot of fun, and there's a lot of amazing things happening, youth are coming closer to Jesus, and I go, and that's the second to last, now there's a satellite phone, there's no phone reception at this place, so the only way you can call in or out is through a satellite phone. And so I'm staying close to the satellite phone, giving my wife a call, seeing how she's doing, seeing how the baby's going. And uh, it's the second to last night. And I call her because I call her every night. And my, then actually I get a call that night. And my, it's my dad. And my dad is saying, my wife is going into labor. And I'm 12 hours or more away. And so... The plan was that if this happened, I would charter a plane, and a seaplane would come. I would jump on the seaplane, and would fly me to Kirkland, and I would go to the hospital there. So, so that's what we did. We chartered a seaplane 
right? Because how often is your baby being born? And so chartered a seaplane, got in the seaplane, took off, went down, and landed, jumped in a car. I felt like I was like super important, like royalty or something like that, that I got to do all these things. And so, and then my drive off to the hospital, make it to the hospital, and I just missed my son's birth. Can you believe it? I actually missed Mateo's birth. But on the flip side of it, there was a video that was taken. My mom took a video of my son being born. And so I got to watch a video of Mateo being born. That's kind of one of those things, though. It's like, do I keep that? Is that something that I want to keep in case, like, I'm flipping through pictures and that just kind of comes up, right? So we got rid of it. I didn't keep it. But, <laughs> but that was kind of one of those dilemmas. This is like a once-in-a-lifetime kind of moment. But So that was kind of a bad decision. But I'm not the only one who's had kind of bad experiences with bosses. There was a couple stories that I, that I found. One, there was a woman who worked at a camp every summer for five years, and she was working there, and on this particular summer, she found out that her friend had unexpectedly passed away from heart failure. And so she took some time off. She went to go the, see his funeral, see the, meet the family and be with them. And, and then she came back, and when she came back, she found out that her grandfather was on his deathbed. And so she, her mom requested that she take more time off work. And the boss, when she went to the boss, she, let me read this part. Obviously upset, I approached my boss and explained the situation. She said, well, you're just going to have to get over it and get on with your life. I can't let you go again. My grandfather died the next week. When I told my boss, she said, you should have planned better. You have no bereavement time left. Whew, that's a bad boss. Uh, another story, the, a guy who was a kind of a prankster at work blew up a paper bag, went behind his boss in a meeting, and, and popped it. And the boss got so angry, he got up, left the meeting, and the meeting just went on, and they were, were there. And the boss came back with a gun, pointed it to the guy's head, and said, so you like noises, huh? And pulled the trigger, but there was no bullet in the gun. But nobody knew that at the time. And so you want to talk about bad bosses... You don't have a boss that's that bad. So these are bad bosses. So a bad bo- boss puts themselves before their employees. They put the, the company even before major life events of, of their employees. These are, these are bad bosses. He even has the alliteration that goes along with it, which is cool. Uh, so what makes a good boss? What, what is, what, how do we find out what a great boss is? Well, Facebook did a study because they were having people quitting, and they were trying to find out why were these people quitting the job at Facebook, because they were wanting it to be a great place. Well, they wrote about this in the Harvard Business Review, and they said that when people left their, left their job, they left because it wasn't enjoyable, their strengths weren't being used, and they weren't growing in their careers. You see, they, they liked their boss, but they didn't like the working environment, and who was in charge of the working environment? It was the boss. And so... They, everything went, still went back to the boss. So they dug into the data to figure out why, why is it really that these people are leaving. And what they found is that when work was 31% more enjoyable or that people would, would stick around when they found their work enjoyable 31% more often, they used their strengths 33% more often, and they expressed 37% more confidence that they were gaining the skills and experiences they needed to develop their careers 
So this highlights three things. One, it, it, it enabled them to do the work they enjoy, that when a boss would do that, that would help them do better, that it helped them play to their strengths and carve a, career, a path for their career development, so that would help them, and, when, and then when they did work that accommodates personal priorities and the people they love, that would help them stick around. So those three things, I would sum it up with saying, really it revolves around purpose, your passion and personality, and people. It was those three things, that when those three things came together, people saw that their boss was great. And you know that Jesus is a boss. In fact, Jesus is the ultimate boss. In Matthew 28, he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age." You see, Jesus is the ultimate boss, but he's not just the ultimate boss. He's also the greatest boss. Jesus is the greatest boss because in John 10, 10, he says, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. You see, Jesus came to bring us life. And this isn't just life that, that goes on and on and on because he came to bring us eternal life. But we tend to think of eternal life just as life that keeps going on and on and on and on. But who would want to stay in a life that went on and on and on that sucked, right? We want to go in a life that goes on and on and on that is good. And so Jesus came to also bring us not just a quantity of life, but also a quality of life. He wanted to have life in us that was better, that was better than the circumstances we face, that was better than the relationships we struggle in, better than the debt we face, better than the depression we face, better than the doubts even that we experience. He wanted to infuse purpose and meaning into our lives. And so Jesus came not just to save our Sundays, because that's often the way we look at Jesus, that we want to have this life, this eternal life that goes on and on. We want to have this better life that's filled with purpose and meaning and love, joy, peace, patience, all the good things that Christ wants to instill in us. But also, we tend to compartmentalize our life. We tend to say, okay, here is my chance on Sunday, and this is my chance to kind of be with Christ and to grow. But then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, those days, now I'm, I'm, I'm at work. And in this series, we really want to talk about how do we bring our Sundays into our Mondays and the rest of the week? How do we begin to, to see the power? Because the same power that raised Christ from the dead is the power that Christ wants to give us throughout the week as well. And so we want to look at that and see, much to Michael Scott's chagrin, that Jesus is the world's greatest boss and to see what he came to bring us. Because when you put your ultimate allegiance into the heavenly boss, Jesus Christ, he begins to transform your work environment. So all of the, the boss and the problems that you have, all of the, the coworker, all the issues that you have begin to decrease because you're looking through the perspective of faith of a God who is with you, who wants to instill a greater life, even not just in your, your Sundays or your Saturdays, but in your Monday through Fridays as well, so that we could say, thank God, it's Monday. And so the Bible tells us that Jesus wants to be a, the world's greatest boss. In Colossians 3, 23, this is the scripture we're going to look at today. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. 
You see, in this passage, it talks about the three things that Facebook found that makes a great boss. The purpose, passion, and personality, and people. That, and so I want to look at those three things today um, that make Jesus the world's greatest boss. First, a good boss helps people to work in their purpose. It says, whatever you do, whatever you do, do it all, whatever you do, uh, work at it with all your heart, as if working for the Lord. Whatever you do, I think um, Jesus would respond to our question. So many people ask, what's my purpose? How do I find my purpose? What, what am I supposed to do? And I think Jesus would respond with this parable. He says in Mark 4, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, and then, and then the full kernel in the head. So in other words, there's an order to how things are done. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. See, at first I thought that Jesus was the farmer in this episode, in this parable. <laughs> and a uh, little, little subconscious thing there. Um, but uh, but, we, but I thought Jesus was the farmer in this, in this parable because, you know, he's out sowing seed. But Jesus can't be the farmer in this parable because he doesn't know how, it's, how it grows. Whereas the Bible says that Jesus is the wisdom of God. And it, um, Solomon, King Solomon says in the book of Proverbs, knowing God results in every other kind of under understanding. And so if you want to figure out life, if you want to figure out what's the purpose to life, what's me- the meaning to life, and you know, what on earth are you here for, then say yes to Jesus. Follow Jesus because it's out of him that, that is the wisdom of God and that produces every other kind of understanding. And so we want to follow Jesus because oftentimes we think we, we have to figure everything out to try to, to figure out what our purpose is. You know, we, we, we think that, man, I've, got to, I've just got to know everything and get it all figured out, and then I can move. And I wish, you know, I don't have a lot of regrets in life, but I wish I would have really written a book uh, about parenting before I had kids. Because before I had kids, you know, I, I had all diagrams, I had all these paradigms and theories, and could have written like a 300-page book of here's all the things you need to do as a parent, because before I had kids, I knew it all, because I'd studied the Bible, and the Bible told me, here's how you parent. And so I could have written this great book. It would have been a bestseller. And then my kids came along and screwed that all up. And now all of a sudden, I didn't know how to parent. My, now it would just be more like a pamphlet with like praying hands. Just, Lord, help me to figure out how to do this. And same thing with pastoring, you know, I went to seminary and I studied and I did all these things and I knew how to pastor people and I had all these paradigms and diagrams and then you guys showed up and you wrecked everything. You didn't fit the mold. And so now I'm just, you know, having to try to pray to to figure this thing out. And so, uh, because oftentimes life throws a curveball at us and no matter how much we prepare, no matter how much we think we've got it together, it's still going to be difficult, and we're still not fully going to know how to do that. And so you don't have to know everything to go. I love what one pastor says. He says, we are often educated far beyond the level of our obedience. We're often educated far beyond the level of our obedience. So that we think we know everything, 
But the problem is maybe we know too much. But it's when we act, that's really when we grow. You don't grow just with all a bunch of book smarts. You grow when you begin to apply those book smarts. That's why you've got to go join a group because you can come here every morning and listen to me and I'll be here. I'm not mad at you. I'd love for you to keep coming. But if you don't join a group, we're not going to, you're not going to see the type of life change that you can see, that you'll see in a, in a group. And so join a group. Make it happen. Um, because growth happens when application is, is implied, when, when you, you figure out how to do things. Faith is like a muscle. When you work out with your faith through, through getting, actually doing things, actually getting involved, then you begin to see your faith grow, and you begin to see that little seed of your calling. You begin to see that grow, and, and God makes that, makes that happen. But, you know, we get places every day without knowing how to make it work. You know, I got in here this morning. I got in my car. I drove here. Now, I'm no mechanic. I know how to kind of change the oil. I know how to do some simple things. But I don't really know how a car works. But yet I got in. I drove it here. And I came here. And I'm, I'm here because my car got me here. I turned on my tablet. And I'm able to preach from my tablet. Now, do I know how this tablet works? No. I don't know how my tablet works, but I can still do things, and I can still see God work even when I don't know how things are working. And this works in real life, too. I know when I went to a coffee shop in Princeton, I went to there to go study, and all I went there was to study and to do my homework. But I saw this pretty girl, and my eyes couldn't stay on my homework. It had to stay on her. I don't know what it was, and I got to talk to her, and, and then I talked to her a little bit more, and I got to know her, and then I got her email, because I asked only for her email, but she gave me her phone number and her email, and she says she would never, as a traditional Ecuadorian girl, just give out her phone number. I must have asked for her phone number, but I really just asked for her email, because I was trying to play it cool, but she gave me her phone number and her email, which was really cool, and so then I asked her out, and I trusted God in the midst of this, and because of that, I'm married to her today, and she's doing youth, so she didn't even hear me, so I don't even get brownie points for that. And so, but, uh, but, you know, so I trusted God, I stepped out, I put myself in a place, and I followed her, and I, I met her, and I married her, and that's how God works oftentimes. So where is God in this parable, this little parable that I just read from Mark 4? Um, you know, is God, God's not the farmer, Jesus is not the farmer, is Jesus the, the, the seed, is he the soil? Well, I would say in, in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, it says this. Paul says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. You see, God is the one that makes things grow in your life. God is the one that when you're, when you're stepping out, when you're following, that when, if you follow God, if you stay with him, then he will help you continue to grow. See, when we trust the one whose work it is, then whatever we do, as long as it stays in the soil, as long as it stays planted, then that can be used to grow us. See, what if, some of you might be saying, well, my job is not my purpose right now. I don't know. My job is just, I'm just living, just doing it for a paycheck. Some of us, we look at trying to find God's purpose as like trying to walk through a dark forest, you know, trying to grope around and figure out where it is until maybe finally you get to your destination if you're lucky and you don't trip over a stump or you don't 
get hit by a branch or something. Maybe for some of you, the metaphor might be walking through your kid's room full of Legos at night, trying to just tiptoe over those little Lego landmines, those expensive little Lego landmines. So maybe that's the image for you. But those are wrong images of trying to find God's purpose. God's purpose is more like a super highway, like an eight-lane super highway. And there's guardrails on either side. That was the word I was looking for the other week when I couldn't think of it, guardrails. Um, I come back with it. I got it. I, I did my research. Um, so guardrails on either side. And one side is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And on the other side is love your, love your neighbor as yourself. Love others as you love yourself. And as long as we stay within those two guardrails and we stay planted and rooted in God, then where, wherever we go on that highway is going to take us somewhere good. We can change lanes, meaning change jobs, change careers. But God still has us going somewhere good if we stay within the guardrails on that highway because God wants to bring us to someplace better. See, w- whatever you do, it will take you somewhere good if you follow him. And I want to uh, introduce a young lady, Emily, coming up here. And while she's coming up, um, I want to tell you a little bit about her. Uh, so we were, were looking to do a mission trip to Ecuador, because obviously, for obvious reasons, my wife is from Ecuador. And uh, we were looking to, to do that, and we were just kind of trying to find out about it. And I talked to Blair, who is part of our church, and she had a friend that was going down to Ecuador to start a nonprofit, which we'll talk about. So thanks for coming, Emily. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, and Emily will be here after service, so you can talk to her. You know, I'll say that now. Um, but Emily, you, know, you kind of were getting involved in doing this thing, um, and you're going down to Ecuador, which we'll get to. But tell us, how did you get involved in Latin culture? Like, what got you interested in, in that? So what got me interested in Ecuador and Latin culture is kind of a fun story. So I studied Spanish in high school for about five semesters and I had a great teacher. So she just encouraged me to keep on studying Spanish because apparently I had a knack for it. I don't know. I nice. just liked it. Um, and then my senior year, you know, what are you going to do with your life? And my parents wanted me to go to college because that's what parents do. And I didn't want to go to college, so my parents and I kind of went back and forth. And my high school teacher was taking a group of students to Spain. So the deal was, if I would go to college, my parents would let me go to Spain. So I was like, oh, okay, whatever, I guess I'll go to college. (laughs) So I went to Spain, and I got a degree in Spanish when, um, you know, four years later. So that's how I started getting involved in Latin culture. So in taking my Spanish classes, you learn a lot about culture. So I wanted to be able to practice the language that I had been learning. So then that's when I moved down to Ecuador. I had a sponsored child there and a church within my network. So I was like, well, it makes sense. I'll just go to Ecuador for six months and practice this language thing, got involved in some different orphan ministries and the church that I was part of. That's awesome. And then you know, because of that experience going down to Ecuador to get to know the language and because you had some connections down there already, so you went down there. And then something touched your heart and you decided you wanted to move down there and start Restore Restore 17. So Mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about Restore 17. Tell us kind of maybe what brought you, what touched your heart to have you move down Mm -hmm. there and and live down there and and basically be a missionary down to Ecuador. 
Yeah, so once again, nothing that I set out to do. It was just what's in front of me. So when I lived in Ecuador for those six months, I was an interpreter, and I met my friends Jason and Jennifer. They live just outside of Atlanta. And so I had met them, and we had stayed connected over the years. I went and visited them, and we just were burdened for this one home specifically. It was an orphanage for about 30 boys in South Quito. The southern part of Quito is very poor. They have this statue of an angel with her wings up, and her back is towards them. So they say that even the angel has turned her back on the south of Quito. So the boys wake up and they see that statue and um, there's just something about these kids. They're about 12 to 17, give or take. So they're older kids. None of them are adoptable, likely never ever will be. Um, so they'll probably spend the rest of their lives there or go back with family. Some of them we knew were running away. So. That home was really special to us, and one year, about two years ago, they went and they had met two boys that they had worked with over the, few, the past few years, and they were both aging out, which means you turn 18, and that means you go to the streets. The streets are your new home because you're an adult and you can't stay in the orphanage anymore. So these two boys were panicked and scared. They asked them, will you guys help us? We need something. We're so afraid to go to the streets. Um, statistically, 70% of boys who age out of institutions will become criminals, and so we had to do something. So it wasn't like we looked for something to get involved in, but we saw this need of boys who were very vulnerable. Um, so that's where we kind of had the idea of starting a foundation, was to help kids in those situations. Luckily, we were able to get both of those kids help. One of them lived with our friends for two years. And the other one just needed help for a couple weeks before he got back to Columbia. So we were able to help both of them. Awesome. Um, yeah, so that's how we got involved in that home. And so now, about two years later, we have two staff that partner with us. So they go to the home at least five days a week and just offer holistic care to the boys. They do Bible study. They, we take them out. We do birthday parties. Some of the kids have never had their birthday celebrated in their whole lives. So it's been really cool to take care of the whole child. That It's good. We have to tell them about Jesus. That's our most important goal. But it can't end at that. You can't tell a hungry person about Jesus while their stomachs hurt. So we come around. We offer help with education. This is the first year that all the kids are enrolled in school, including two kids with special needs that we've been able to get into a special program that will offer them a job. So yeah. it's been really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. And so kind of you're going down, and what do you see your, yourself for the next couple of years? Like where do you see yourself doing and getting involved in? And yeah, so I'm going to be moving there this October, working on getting all my visa done. Um, so I'll be there, and I'm going to be our director of program development. So we're going to be starting a transition home. So when the kids turn 18, they have nowhere to go. So we're opening a home in about a year. So my goal and my role in that is going to be developing the program that transitions them from the orphanage into this transition home to make sure they have an education or skills that they don't have to become that statistic of a criminal or we've yeah. seen other boys we know get trafficked or become members of gangs. Yeah. So my role is going to be developing that program so that they have resources and options and they don't have to turn to the street. So we're working on preventive work that we can give these kids skills while they're in the orphanage and then transition to become independent adults. So that's going to be my role when I'm down there. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah let's, let's thanks. Can I just pray for you? Yes, yeah. God, thanks for Emily. Thanks for all the work she's doing. Thank you that she is faithful and that she just took steps. And as she took steps, Lord, you met her on that place 
and you using her life for something greater, for accomplishing greater things. God, we pray that you would give her safety, that you'd give her wisdom, that you'd give her resources, that you'd give her support, the things that she needs to be able to see those lives changed and be able to live in some place better because of the work you are doing through her. You, in your precious name we pray, amen. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks. and I'll Thanks. be hanging out out there She'll on the table. She'll be hanging out out there so, so you, guys so you can get learn. to know her more. I just wanted to offer you a real-world example of somebody that is following Jesus and that, like her story was, she didn't set out to do some of the amazing things that God wants to do for her, but she didn't, she didn't know everything. She didn't wake up one morning and God said, you're going to start a nonprofit help in Ecuador helping orf- an orphanage, but she just followed God step by step, and as she did that, God met her there and she was able to grow, and so that's where God wants to bring us. I love Ephesians 2.10. It says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You see, you might be sitting there today saying, I'm stuck at my work. Is this God, is this all I'm going to really amount to? Is this all I'm really going to do? But I would say to you, stop asking your boss for permission for your purpose. God has already planned and prepared it. Now you just go out and live it. Stop waiting on somebody else to tell you that you're significant. Just be able to go out and know that God, the God of the universe, the God who loves you, who formed you in your mother's womb, the God who cares for you, who has been with you through every trial and tribulation that you have faced, has a greater plan for your life and wants to do something amazing through you. Now, if you would just step out in faith and follow him, because here it is, it's not that we need to know how, but we need to know who. We need to know who we follow, that there is a God that is greater above your situation, above your work circumstances, greater than your boss. He's the world's greatest boss in the sense that he is good. He's also the world's greatest boss in the sense that all power is with him. And so stop turning to your earthly bosses to needing permission for your purpose. God has a purpose for you, and he wants to meet you right where you are. And it is something good. It is something for you, and he can work through you for others. That's the kind of God that we serve. So are you putting yourself in places that require you to have faith? Are you putting yourself in places where you'll meet others that God can work through to encourage you, to support you? Again, that's why we say that's why we have groups here, so that you can be around other Christians that can lift you up and hold you accountable and help you move forward. So whatever you do, when you know the right person, then you'll find the right purpose. So Paul tells us that whatever we do, work at it with all our hearts. You know, a good boss helps you to work in your passions. A bad boss doesn't care about your passions. He just wants you to be productive. And so he pushes you just to do work. And this is the type of boss we don't want. We don't want somebody that is just going to make us do work and not try to craft us, not try to mentor us, try to help, help us do the work that we're passionate about. See, I, I, I encountered this myself um, I went to University of Washington, graduated from University of Washington with honors, and then went to Princeton Seminary and went there and then took some classes at Princeton University. And so I thought I did pretty well for myself scholastically. And then God called me to start a church. And I felt like, okay, this is going to be really, really cool. And I'm going to be a lead pastor and I'm going to go out and start a church. And I was young at, at the time. And so I went out and started this church. But of course, 
I felt called to start a church in a low-income community, and so I didn't have money, and so I had to go get a job. Well, a couple jobs down the line, and I was working at an auto glass warehouse, kind of where they sell windshields, and it was a temp job. It was something to kind of get me money while, the, while I was planning this church, and they would have me go around the warehouse, and I would just sweep the floors, and there was one time I was laying on my back and hammering the shelf, trying to repair this shelf that holds windshields, and I just started thinking, God, why am I here? I have my master's from Princeton. Like, I'm, I'm educated way beyond this job. Like, what am I doing building shelves? And, and it was really out of my own ego, out of my own just, you know, self-centeredness that I was asking this question. And I heard God say to me, he said, your worth is beyond your work. He said, Josh, your worth is beyond your work. See, so many times we tie our identity, we tie our worth, we tie our personality into our jobs. And so we're just trying to climb the corporate ladder and look at me, look out high, look at my promotion, look at my status. I have the corner office. Look at all the things that I have. This is the kind of game we play because our identity is tied up with our, with our, our, our job. But in Genesis 1, God formed us in his image. In other words, it's in him that we find our identity. It's in him that we find our worth. And the word for working, the word for working with all our hearts, the, the word in Greek is exuke. In other words, that means working out of who we are, out of your being, out of your, out of your center, out of your soul. That's where our passion comes from. See, so, so often we try to put our, our identity into our job, and then we're not happy with our job because our job can't fill us, and it's not our job's fault. Ultimately, what, what we need what we, is first to find our identity in Christ so that we know who we are because we're looking to the God. And it's out of that identity where we've connected with God. It's out of that identity that we then begin to work. And when you begin to get connected to a deeper identity in Christ, an identity that's beyond your job, beyond your role, even if you're a stay-at-home mom, that can be your job too. That can be the role that you have, that your identity can get tied around. But even that, even such a good thing as being a stay-at-home mom, still can't satisfy you. You should already know that. I shouldn't have to tell you. Your kids scream. They do all sorts of selfish things. They can't fulfill you. You totally, you, you got to know that. So it's really only in God that we find that. But then once we do that, once we get connected with our identity in Christ, then we can know that our calling is greater than our career. Our calling is greater than our career. Because when we see that ultimately it's God, he is the one that's our boss, then we see that there's, there's a greater calling that we're serving. And oftentimes you might be asking, oh, I just have this job, or this doesn't mean that much because I'm here. But, what God, but what's really happening is your identity is tied up with your job. And so when you get your identity tied up with Christ, you begin to see that there is a greater calling. And so you, you, might, you might, whatever job you're at, it doesn't define you. It doesn't define who you are. It doesn't define where you are. So you might be stuck. You feel like you're stuck at a dead-end job. But that doesn't mean that you are going nowhere because your calling is greater than your career, that God has something better for you. And so when you, when you follow him, that you begin to develop a passion 
because you begin to know who you are. You begin to know what God wants to do in and through you. And then as you, as you begin to discern that, discern who God wants to be, who you are in Christ, then your job is just where you are at the moment. It doesn't define you. It doesn't tell you your worth. You see, we often think that if we find our work, then we'll find our worth. But really, it's the other way around. When we find our worth, then we'll find our work. Because as we get to know who we are in Christ, then we'll begin to know more and more who he created us to be. You see, character follows Christ. When we follow character, when we find Christ, we begin to build our character. As we grow in character, we begin to know more about who we are. We begin to know about who's in whose image we were created. And as we begin to know that, we begin to know about our own strengths and weaknesses. We begin to know about all the things that we need. We begin to know about all the things we're good at, all the things we can help people. We begin to know how to relate to other people and how to establish healthy boundaries with other people. And as we begin to know that, then we begin to see that work out in our, in our, in our calling. So that calling follows character. You see, character follows Christ, but calling follows character. As I began to work at this auto glass warehouse, I began to grow in character. I began to grow in, in who I was. And so they began to know that they could trust me. And as I trusted Christ, they began to trust me with more and more because as I trusted Christ, my character grew. And as my character grew, then my calling grew. And so I began to do more and more. And so no longer was I working on repairing shelves, but now I was working on the big job of delivering windshields. And so that was really, really cool. Like, that was up there. If you were delivering windshields, then you were doing really well. And so I was delivering windshields, and no longer was I working in the warehouse repairing shelves because God was working on me as well as through me. You see, that's where God wants to bring us. He wants to bring us so that we would develop a Christ-like character. And in developing a Christ-like character, we would develop a Christ-like calling in our lives. And once you find your work, then you, you've got to work at it with all your heart. You see, there's no work that's beneath you. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, Whatever presents itself for you to do, do it with all your might. In other words, whatever it is. So even if it's cleaning toilets, do it for all your, with all your might. Do it as if you're serving God. You're serving Jesus. Because when you do that, then he wants to work in and through you. I had a, I had a um, friend who wanted to work for the Department of Ecology. And I got a job with the Department of Ecology he, as taking kids around and having them clean up trash on the side of the road. Well, he wanted to do some of the better stuff. He didn't want to do that. But I got in, uh, kind of in this job, and started working. And I didn't really, ultimately, it wasn't my goal to work for the Department of Ecology. But I got in, and I was taking kids along the side of the road to clean up trash. And at the very end of it, they offered me a job to stay there longer and to do other things. And I could have kept growing up through the ranks and done what I want in the Department of Ecology. But he didn't want to do that because that was beneath him. But you see, when, wherever you start, don't call it just flipping burgers. Don't call it just picking up trash. Call it an opportunity because that's what God it looks at it for you. This is an opportunity for you to show your character, to show who you are to people. And as you show that, because as Christ is forming that in you, then he'll begin to call things out and people will begin to see that and you'll begin to do greater things because of what, he, what God wants to do through you. 
This is a phrase I love. So do something you love so much that you do it for free, then do it so well that somebody would gladly pay you for it. See, when we begin to work with our character, then Christ begins to call us. Finally, I'm going to look at um, a good boss knows how to handle people and help give them space for their personal life. Um, I'm going to breeze through this one because we're already past time. Um, But uh, I want to say just one thing on this. If if there's one point I got to say on this, I would say your battle is not your boss. Oftentimes we look at, uh, at it's our boss is, is the one that's our problem, or that's the one that's, that's, that's really getting us down. But, but as we begin to, to see that ultimately Christ is our boss, then we begin to see that all of these people are not just bosses or coworkers, not all these labels, but they're people, just like you and me. And they have needs, and they have desires, and they have things they're trying to do too. And they're sinful, and they're mistaken, just like you and me. And as we begin to look at them through that lens, no longer just as boss or coworker or obstacle in our way towards the promotion we want, we begin to see people as people and begin to treat them differently and begin to see that what God wants, wanted to redeem in us, maybe God wanted to redeem in them as well. And as we begin to treat people as people, not just as obstacles in our path towards our promotion, then we begin to see that God can minister to them. You know, I'm in full-time Christian ministry, but I I, I don't like the term because really every one of us is in full-time Christian ministry. If you're a Jesus follower, your full-time work is Christian ministry. Ministry just means to serve. God wants to call you to serve. And when you begin to look at work through that lens, through that you are called by God to serve where you are, then your work begins to take on an eternal purpose, and you begin to see that there's something God can do through you there. Maybe this morning, you, 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 you're thinking, you know, Christ is not my boss. He's not the one that I answer to. But maybe after my talk, maybe you'd like to make Christ your boss. I want to pray now and uh, we're going we're gonna to have everybody bow their heads and close their eyes. And I just like, um, if you haven't made Christ your boss, I want you just to pray this. And we're going to all pray this prayer together. Um, and so if everybody bow their heads and close their eyes, we are going to pray this. And there's going to be a team in the back of the, of the worship center that's, that, that can pray with you. And I'd love for you, if, you, if this is the first time that you've prayed this prayer, to go back there and to get prayer with them, and we'd love to follow up with you. But if, you, but if we'd all pray together, God, we need you. We have sinned. We've fallen short. Of, we've fallen short, God. Thank you, Lord, for your work on the cross. Thank you, God, for sending your only son. That in him we might find life no longer separated from you by our sins. We might come close to you and receive your power for our daily living. God, help me to follow you all my days. In your name I pray. Amen. If this is the first time, I'm going to ask you to make a bold step. If this is the first time that you ever prayed that prayer, um, 
I want you guys to go back there. Mark it on your connection card. Let me know. Um, and go back there and pray. But as we close, um, just remember that Christ is your boss. And as you go out and work, that he's got something greater for you. Thanks so much, guys. Have a great week, and we'll see you next week.